0: The following program is from the Latin Pulse archives, so some of the news items included are no longer current. This is Latin Pulse, a weekly analysis of news and public affairs in Latin America, brought to you in cooperation with American University's School of Communication in Washington, D.C., and Link TV. And now here's host Rick Rockwell. Bienvenidos and welcome to Latin Pulse. This week, we have a special program focusing on Honduras. Honduran President Porfirio Lobo made the rounds in Washington, D.C. this week, all part of the international rehabilitation of his country's diplomatic image. The Organization of American States, the OAS, expelled Honduras as a member state more than two years ago after a coup removed then President Manuel Zelaya from office. But this week, President Lobo made a triumphant return to the OAS four months after Honduras was reinstated, and Lobo met with U.S. President Barack Obama. Obama congratulated Lobo on what he called a strong commitment to democracy. We'll be exploring just what all this symbolism means for Honduras and discuss the controversial coup that brought us to this stage. But first, we have this week's highlights of news from other parts of Latin America. Here's Vanessa Hazes González.
1: Republican candidate Rick Perry would consider sending U.S. troops into Mexico to combat violence related to drug cartels. The Texas governor made this statement last weekend in New Hampshire as part of his campaign for president. Perry says he doesn't know what the different scenarios would be, but that it's important for the U.S. to keep Mexico from failing in its fight in the drug war. Perry compared the situation with Colombia, where the government accepted American military support to fight drug cartels but Mexico's government opposes foreign military forces on its territory. Police arrested one of the major leaders of the La Familia drug gang in Mexico this week. He was on the run since a breakaway gang threatened to kill family members of those who still sympathize with La Familia. Federal Police Commissioner Facundo Rosas says La Familia is a weak group by now and hopes to completely dismember it soon. Two more gangs have fallen due to the same reasons as La Familia, arrests, infighting, and pressure from rival gangs. But the areas they used to control have been taken largely by other groups, like the Sinaloa Cartel. (laughs) Police in Peru rescued almost 300 women in a jungle region they say is used for illegal gold mining. Peruvian prosecutors say five people have been arrested, suspected of human trafficking. Police say the group of women was rescued from sexual slavery in the Amazon state of Madre de Dios. The youngest one is 13 years old, and at least four others are minors. Thousands seeking gold in Madre de Dios are using techniques that some experts say are destroying the environment. Puerto Rico will have the chance to decide its political future next year. The governor of the U.S. territory, Luis Fortuno, announced this week that he will present legislators with a plan for a referendum in 2012. The three options would be statehood, independence, or a sovereign-free association different from the commonwealth status it has now. Fortuno insists that Puerto Rico needs to express itself on its political status. Puerto Ricans voted on this issue in 1967, 1993, and 1998, but there was not a clear majority. A big, powerful, and complex telescope starts operating this week from Chile's northern desert. The ALMA telescope uses radio technology to see the wavelengths of light instead of what's visible to the human eye. This allows astronomers to see some of the coldest and darkest regions of space where galaxies are created and stars are formed. Dr. Brian Kent from the National Radio Astronomy Observatory explains. The ALMA telescope
0: is an effort uh, that no one has ever attempted before. It's using scientists, engineers, and technical staff all around the world to build a telescope That will change the landscape of astronomy,
2: literally.
1: The International Observatory links an array of radio antennas to act as one giant telescope. Scientists from North America, Europe, and East Asia have worked on this project for almost 30 years. I'm Vanessa Jesus-Gonzati, reporting for Latin Pulse.
0: Thanks, Vanessa. Our first guest this week is Vicki Gass, a senior associate at the Washington Office on Latin America, or WOLA. For those unfamiliar with WOLA's work, the organization promotes human rights and democracy throughout Latin America. Gass is WOLA's well expert on Honduras. Welcome to Latin Pulse. The media in Washington buried the news about Honduras this week, as many have come to expect. But if there was a media frame for President Lobo's visit, it was the diplomatic rebirth of Honduras. What's your take on that?
2: Rick, first of all, thank you very much for having me here today. It's a pleasure to be on the AU campus and and to be on your show. Uh, What's my take? Well, I think you uh, actually uh, described it quite well. It was the uh, diplomatic rebirth um, of Honduras and its relationship with the United States. Now, if you were to look at what little news coverage there was of Honduras, you would see that there are three points, and I can go into them now, or... or Please go ahead. Okay, terrific. Um, I think there were three major points of President Lobo's visit with President Obama this week. The first uh, is that they wanted to assure everybody that President Lobo, who was inaugurated in Janu- on January 27th of 2010, restored the constitutional order to... Honduras. Secondly, that uh, Honduras is on the road to democracy. Not only are they on the road to democracy, but they're committed to um, the democratic form of government. And then the third is that the real problem facing democracy in Honduras is not the coup or the fact that the coup, the people behind the coup are still in power. Um, but it's the transnational drug trafficking and organized crime. So those were the three messages that came out of of the meeting with uh, between President Obama and President Lobo of Honduras.
0: I'm guessing that you don't dispute the third, but what is your estimation of how strong democracy is in Honduras?
2: I certainly don't dis- dispute the th- Third, I I think what was missing from the discourse this week, and it's important to recognize that President Lobo did acknowledge in his meeting with President Obama that there continues to be a problem with human rights violations. He did not refer to the human rights violations that occurred since he took office, but he was uh, referring to the violations that took place during the coup d'etat and under the... um, uh, de facto government of uh, Roberto Micheletti. Um, certainly, certainly, uh, uh, drug trafficking, narco trafficking, organized crime is a problem in Honduras. as it is throughout Central America. Less so in, in Nicaragua. But I think um, I think what is missing from the debate is, first of all, human rights violations have occurred. Uh, continue to occur to this day in Honduras. Human rights defenders, journalists, uh, people opposed to uh, the Lobo government continue to be attacked. Now, it's not at the level of the 1980s when there were civil wars throughout Central America, but it's still at its alarming rate.
0: And, and who's behind these attacks? Do we know who's behind these
2: attacks? Well, I'll get to that in a minute. Um, secondly, that the country is still deeply divided there's, um it's still <clears throat> heavily polarized. So, you know, I lived in Honduras for a couple of years, and I've been working there since uh, at least 99. And um, there was a common saying that in Honduras, you can uh, argue at lunch and then embrace and have dinner together in the evening. So people could have their political differences, but, you know, it wasn't divisive. I don't think that's true any longer, and you still have a very large and, as yet undefined, but growing—well, um, growing in its definition—a uh, popular resistance front.
0: Um, and when we mean that, do we mean people who supported former President Zelaya, or who do we exactly mean? By
2: that? Well, that, that's a, that's an excellent question because it's not uh, it's not homogeneous by any means. It's uh, Former supporters of President Zelaya, it's people who are not, in general, happy with um, 30 years of democracy in in Honduras and want more structural changes.
0: And when we talk about democracy, is that democracy with quotation marks around it?
2: I would call it electoral democracy, certainly. Um, So they go to the polls every four years, but uh, nothing really changes. So
0: you mean nothing really changes that there's a glass ceiling to that particular democracy?
2: I think there's a glass ceiling. Nothing really changes as far as um, issues of poverty, institutional weakness, weaknesses, corruption, and impunity, which is another thing that wasn't discussed uh, in this visit. Um, computer, um, corruption and impunity are, just as, are inherent into this system. And uh, even the official Truth Commission... Came out with a report in July saying, part of the problems with the human rights violations that have occur, occurred, or that occurred under the um, the de facto regime, um, part of it, the the human rights violations were linked specifically to um, state actors, so either the military or the police. But part of the problem is is impunity, and nobody is ever held responsible for their actions. And so today, when you look at who's in government in in Honduras, besides President Lobo and besides the human rights figures he's put in place or the special prosecutors on human rights violations or internal investigations, you still have people who were behind the coup, either the military forces or people who, um, how would you say it, people who condoned it legally in the Supreme Court or people who actually fabricated a, a letter saying that Mel Zelaya resigned when, in fact, he didn't. He was forced out of the country in his pajamas. Well,
0: let's go back to some of these actors now that you've named for us, or at least institutions that, that have problems with corruption and impunity. There's a long history, is there not, in, in Honduras of of this particular problem Dating back to when the military had really no checks on their power.
2: Yes, and I think that's the point that the Honduran's uh, the truth commission that was headed by Eduardo Stein makes. There was impunity; they had a blank check; they were never held responsible. They were held in check in ninety in the nineties and prior to the coup, but now with the coup, they've been and some and many people fear this quite strongly. That is that they've been emboldened because. They have been put in powers, uh, pos- uh, positions of power, not only within the government, but also with important um, civilian institutions, sh- such as Vasquez Velazquez, who was the um, Minister of Defense. And he's now heading up the uh, Handutel, which is the telecommunications company. Well, I don't know about you, Rick, but that's kind of scary to me. They Tele- communi- have the military
0: in charge of Of
2: the telecommunications.
0: Well, there is this culture that we thought was broken at a certain point in the new millennium and of, of military throughout all parts of society. It wasn't unknown in, in the 90s for the military to own construction firms, other sorts of parts of private enterprise. And so, so you are actually saying to me and to our listeners that the coup really set Honduras back.
2: Yes, people say that there's been a huge leap backwards um, as far as the military is concerned. And not only are they back in positions of government, um, but uh, they're also, um, because of the backseat role that they had to take um, during the 90s and um, after what Hondurans refer to as the Cold War there, uh, many went into um, private security. And many of those people were also responsible for killings that have taken place, and their organizations have worked on that. Um, And are these people also linked to organized crime? Yeah, I mean, these are big questions that nobody's answering. Let me
0: bounce something off of you and get your reaction. Uh, This week, former Ambassador Jaime Derenblum wrote that actually the Obama administration had been too tough on Honduras during this period, and the OAS had been too tough on Honduras, and that we should respect Honduras because they've been a long-time staunch U.S. ally. Any response to that?
2: Hmm. You know, that's such a—it's um, such an old uh, and worn-out and used uh, a phrase. I mean, if you look at Colombia, Colombia is an ally. We're about to sign a free trade agreement when everybody knows. Uh, that besides the questionable benefits of free trade for agreement with Colombia, that it's uh, one of the most dangerous countries to be a unionist. You know, but it's an ally. Whether we were too harsh, no. I mean, I think, in fact, um, from Wola's standpoint, um, the the Obama administration came out quite strongly, and Clinton was very clear and Obama was very clear that it was a coup d'etat.
0: But didn't um, the Obama administration backtrack at some point?
2: Yes. They backtracked. And I think for the United States, or at least this, this is what I've heard and I'm not convinced of it, is um, they didn't see an out. Um, and they saw the elections as the way forward. Whether we were too harsh, no. Because, again, the people who are who were behind the coup are still in power. That's the military. That's the judiciary. Uh, it's It's the economic and political elite that just don't function. And even the Truth Commission states that.
0: I think Ambassador Darabohm's point is that the Obama administration shouldn't have asked President Lobo for a compromise to allow former President Salai to come back, to allow him to take um, any sort of positions. Um, I think he sees him as a threat, as some people did before, a representative of an ally to Hugo Chavez or others on the left.
2: Well, let's take a look at what's happened since Elia has returned, um, and putting aside for a moment the question of whether he should have returned or not. Um, since he's returned, the Honduran legislature has passed a law that will allow a referendum on, on um, the same issues that Melzelayer was going to vote in the referendum in the Cuatro Urna, you know, days before he was uh, or days after he was ejected from the country. What else has happened? They have um agreed to start getting oil again from uh Venezuela. You know, it's almost like as though nothing happened and yet people have been killed and money was was, was spent. Um and and a society just torn apart, but it's still the same country. What would your suggestion be about what's going on with Honduras now? Well, minimally four things have to have to happen. Uh, One, um, they need to achieve justice for people who have been killed um, by uh, during and since um, the coup d'etat. Um, that includes under President Lobo, they have to respect and protect human rights defenders, journalists, and people who are opposed who who you know they they should respect freedom of speech and the fourth is is that there needs to be an urgent need for for authentic and inclusive political dialogue, and that includes with members of the 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 popular resistance front as well as others uh It can't be a two party system because it's not functioning
0: with that we have to end. Thank you so much. Vicki Gass, Senior Associate with the Washington Office on Latin America. WOLA, thanks for joining us today on Latin Pulse.
2: And thank you very much, Rick. Up next,
0: the second part of our interview with Bill Leogrand, another expert on Central America. He'll give us the context behind the coup that changed Honduran politics.
1: A restless energy blows across the globe. The desire for human rights.
2: Yet every day people are tortured, imprisoned,
1: executed, or
0: disappeared,
1: simply for their identity or their beliefs. That's why Amnesty International speaks out. To protect people's basic human rights. To change
2: the sounds of suffering.
1: To the sounds of freedom. Freedom. Call 1-800-AMNESTY. It's your human right.
2: 1-800-AMNESTY.
0: Welcome back to Latin Pulse with our focus this week on Honduras. Here's the second part of our pre-recorded interview with Bill Leogrand, the Dean of the School of Public Affairs at American University and the award-winning author of Our Own Backyard, The United States in Central America. I'm just curious about why there's a need for the U.S. to make Good with Honduras at this particular point. I think the point of uh, President Obama meeting with the President of Honduras is to say, all of that that happened in 2009, it's over with and we can go back to normal affairs. Do you have a different take?
3: Well, I don't think the Obama administration has quite managed to escape the political consequences of its uh, wavering position about the coup that happened in 2009. Um, The elected president of Honduras was rousted out of his bed uh, in the early morning hours by the armed forces, put on a plane, and sent into exile. It was, by any reasonable standard, a military coup d'etat. Now, it wasn't, interestingly, at the instigation of the armed forces, but rather at the instigation of civilian opponents of President Zelaya, who then recruited the armed forces to cooperate with them in this coup. Uh, initially, the United States denounced it as a coup, as did every other country in the hemisphere. Honduras's membership in the OAS, the Organization of American States, was suspended as per the Democratic Charter, um, and the demand across the hemisphere was for the restoration of constitutional order by the return of President Zelaya. The de facto government of Honduras absolutely refused to do that. Now this was all complicated by the fact that there was underway, at the time of the coup, an electoral campaign. President Zelaya's term of office was coming to an end just a a few months down the road, as a matter of fact, and uh, that electoral campaign and election went forward. Uh, By most standards, by most observers, uh, it was a free and fair election although President Zelaya's supporters felt like the, the general atmosphere of intimidation in the ap- aftermath of a coup made it an illegitimate election. But the United States then was faced with a choice to recognize the result of the election or not. Um, there was a negotiated solution which looked like it might break the deadlock. That was that uh, the outcome of the election would be respected, conservative candidate want, but President Zelaya would be allowed to return to the country, perhaps uh, even in the interim between the election and the inauguration of the new president. So one could at least say that constitutional order had been restored. That was the goal of the negotiated settlement, which the United States and Costa Rica helped broker. But the de facto government refused to go along even with that, and President Zelaya was not allowed to return. At that point, the United States broke with the rest of the hemisphere and said, well, we're going to recognize the new government anyway and uh, split the hemispheric uh, consensus that Zelaya had to be brought back. Gradually, over time, other countries have accepted the the, the reality that uh, there's a new government in Honduras and have focused on trying to build an atmosphere of national reconciliation in the country to get over the the divisions that, that provoked the coup in the first place. The problem, I think, for Hondurans is that um, getting to that reconciliation is a lot tougher than it would have been if the old government had actually lived up to the agreement. The problem for the United States is that our uh, deserting the hemispheric consensus at that critical moment, put the lie to President Obama's pledge that our policy in the region was going to be a multilateral process and we were going to listen to and follow the lead of other major Latin American powers like Brazil, Mexico, Chile. Uh, So it really did significant damage, I think, to Obama's effort to create a new relationship with the hemisphere.
0: One of the things that complicated this particular happening two years ago was the fact that uh, President Zelaya snuck back into the country and held up in the Brazilian embassy. Isn't that part of the complication here?
3: That, that was part of the complication, and it wasn't clear once once he managed to take refuge in the Brazilian embassy whether whether he was ever going to get out because it wasn't clear that uh, certainly the de facto government wanted to arrest him and put him on trial, which would have, uh, I think, would have been a, a horrible mistake that would have provoked serious domestic violence. Uh, there was a degree of domestic violence regardless, as Zelaya's. Supporters were in the streets demanding his return. Uh, The security forces were, uh, the riot police were um, shooting tear gas at them and arresting people, beating people, imprisoning uh, dissidents. So it was a a, a dangerous moment. And as I say, I, I think that the inability to find a political solution at the time really has made the task of national reconciliation a lot tougher. I will say the current government has really, I think, tried to get past that uh, that moment of crisis and has tried to have a broader uh, dialogue, even with Zelaya's supporters, and that's one of the reasons that gradually other Latin American countries, particularly the neighboring Central American countries, have been willing to make their peace with that government, and it's now been allowed to rejoin the OAS.
0: The Honduran military, as you pointed out, did not act independently in this particular episode but Honduras has a poor history when it comes to the military and military coups and I'm believe that Honduras was one of the last countries in Central America if not the last where civilian government actually had control over its military so was this incident a setback in that sort of relationship between the military and civilian authorities in Honduras or is that something we don't have to worry about?
3: No, I think one always has to worry about that when the armed forces is involved in an interruption of constitutional government. You're quite right that the history of Honduras is a a history strewn with constitutional governments being overthrown by the armed forces. And it took a very long time to move from military government to civilian government where the civilians had control over the armed forces. There was an interim period there in the 1980s when there was nominally civilian government, but in fact, the Armed Forces was the real power behind the throne, if you will, and no civilian president dared do anything without clearing it with the commander of the Armed Forces. By the So by the, in other words, the president of Honduras wasn't the commander-in-chief. That's exactly right. And by the 1990s, through a, a number of crises in which civilian uh, presidents confronted the Armed Forces, often with the support of the United States behind the civilian president, Um, civilian authority was finally established. Uh, So this is definitely a setback, not just for Honduras. Uh, It's also a setback, I think, for democracy across the hemisphere because it sent a signal that it was possible for the right, both civilian and military, to uh, overthrow a democratically elected civilian, particularly one on the progressive left, and in effect get away with it. And we saw then subsequently an attempted coup in Ecuador that followed a very
0: similar model. Since we're talking about models of coups, could it not also be argued that this coup, the Zelaya coup, followed the model of the brief three-day coup in Venezuela against Hugo Chavez, and that we also saw the right coming in in that case, uh, maybe the U.S. not being so much against that coup?
3: Yes, I think that's I think that's right. Um, the Venezuelan coup, of course, the United States was more than just not against it. The United States celebrated it once it happened, and, and many Venezuelans think, although there isn't any evidence of this, uh, that the United States was behind it. Um, there's a danger across Latin America, as we've seen a number of governments elected uh, that uh, are elected not just to carry on the status quo but to transform the status quo, Uh, governments not just in Venezuela but in Bolivia and Ecuador and a number of other Latin American countries there's a real danger that um, people in established power, the establishment if you will, in in these countries very resistant to those changes, frightened by those changes and will resort to any means necessary to try to stop them If the United States and the rest of the hemisphere doesn't stand together in solidarity in defense of democratic government, there's a risk that we could see these kinds of coups or attempted coups in other places as well.
0: Bill Leogrand will have to stop there. Thank you for your background and context today on Honduras. Bill Leogrand, the dean of the School of Public Affairs at American University, thank you very much for joining us today on Latin Pulse. Thank you. To see the Latin Pulse archives of video programs on Latin America, you can check out Link TV's website, www.linktv, all one word.org, and then forward slash Latin Pulse, also all one word. That's www.linktv.org, forward slash Latin Pulse. And if you'd like to write us with your reactions to our program, please send us an email. You can find us at latinpulse.gmx.com. That's Latin Pulse, all one word. Thank you for joining us this week on Latin Pulse. For associate producer Vanessa jesus Gonzati and announcer Victor Kilo, I'm Rick Rockwell. Escúchanos otra vez. Gracias por su tiempo. Latin Pulse is produced in Washington, D.C. at American University School of Communication and with the support of Link TV. Theme music provided by Link TV and additional music from Canary Productions and Bathtime Music Publishing. This program is copyright 2011. Las Rocas
2: Productions.